Cerebral palsy. The picture that comes to our minds is usually of a child, but 80% of CP patients are adults. What do we need to know about treating them? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe. Dr. Ivanhoe is attending physician at the Brain Injury and Stroke Program at TIRR, the Institute for Rehabilitation and Research, and medical director of Mentis Neuro Rehab in Houston, Texas. She's an associate professor at Baylor College of Medicine as well. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Dr. Ivanhoe, let's review the basics of cerebral palsy first for those of us who may be a little uh, unclear on this. Well, cerebral palsy is an injury that occurs early on, either in utero or within the first couple of years of birth, that affects the developing central nervous system. So it can manifest in different ways, and it can come from different things. We most often think of it as happening due to either some sort of brain injury at the time of birth or an intrauterine injury. And how exactly does it occur? It can occur if there's a problem with the umbilical cord. It can occur if there are problems during delivery. And then it can also occur within the first couple of years of life if there's an injury such as from some sort of trauma. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily have to be at birth. No. And what are the symptoms typically seen? You know, if you put it in the context that cerebral palsy occurs in the developing nervous system, so it will affect the way these children grow up. It will affect their swallowing and speech, movement disorders, on types of movement, walking, growth. It can affect the way muscles and tendons develop, again, with issues of growth and development of movement. It can affect just about every aspect of their lives. And how is it diagnosed? It will generally be diagnosed by pediatric neurologists early on or by uh, pediatricians. There may be changes on brain scans. Is it commonly missed or pretty much everybody gets it? I think it's one of those things that's certainly noted much more commonly. There are certainly people who have had very subtle forms of cerebral palsy, but usually when they're that subtle, they don't need much of an intervention anyway. Now, as a child, how do you treat CP? Children with cerebral palsy are treated with different interventions to try and basically limit the complications. And as with other neurologic disorders, it will depend on the severity and the manifestations of their neurologic deficits. So if a child is ambulatory, it may just involve some bracing or botulinum toxin injections to help with bracing or other type of movement patterns. It may involve other interventions if they have a lot of severe problems with their muscle tone, such as intrathecal baclofen. There can be casting. There can be orthopedic surgeries for the movement and growth issues and contractures that can develop. Additionally, some of these children will have seizure disorders, so there could be issues related to anticonvulsant management. Swallowing, weight gain is often an issue as well. I wasn't aware that they're using Botox in those kids. How does that work? The botulinum neurotoxins, um, Botox is the most commonly used form in this country to date, which is botulinum neurotoxin type A. And what that does, it actually is like the drug for whatever ails you, quite frankly, (laughs) right now. But in this context, it's used to decrease the abnormal contractions of muscles that are interfering with progression or with function. So when you think of, for example, a fisted hand in one of these children, you might inject the finger flexors so that you can get that hand open more. And again, depending where a child is on the continuum of function, 
The goals may be subtle, like just getting the hand open enough so that the skin doesn't macerate from their own sweat or their nails aren't digging into their palms, all the way out to allowing patients or these children to work on getting improved function of their hand. And you can extrapolate that out to other muscle groups looking at function. Sometimes we may inject the back of the calves to the plantar flexors to help patients get more stable heel strikes, for example, when they're walking or get their feet down flat on the floor, or if they're braced to help make up for strength and problems with their limbs, the botulinum toxins can help that bracing fit better. So it might be something to use in the toe walkers. Yes, absolutely. It's often used in that setting. Okay. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. Your host and with me today is physiatrist Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe. We are discussing cerebral palsy. Now, we've talked about children. Let's move on to adults. How might treatment differ for an adult compared to children? A lot of the issues that we see in adults with cerebral palsy, you know, because they're issues that these patients have grown up with, sometimes our interventions may actually make them less comfortable because We're looking at well-established patterns of how they move or how they speak or how they may swallow, whatever the specific issue is. Another phenomenon I see is that many people think of cerebral palsy as a pediatric condition. And so very often, adults who have cerebral palsy have not had as much access to different healthcare interventions as one might think that, you know, someone growing up with a disability might have experienced. But a lot of the treatments that we use are still the same. It's a question of things like dosing, goal setting. As a physiatrist, I'm very focused on the goals. So it's not just about taking an intervention and using it because we can. It's a question of what are we hoping to gain from this specific intervention. Adults with cerebral palsy will often have problems with tone, with muscle tone, and benefit from a coordinated approach to trying to treat that. It might mean interventions to improve the stability or the strength in their trunk so that they can sit up in a more functional way or equipment that helps with their positioning so that they can transfer more easily or have less risk of problems with skin breakdown. Augmentative communication is also a very exciting area for adults and children with cerebral palsy, providing that you can find the funding for it. But there are a whole host of interventions, you know, if you look at what is the goal that you are trying to address. I have patients who I inject with neurotoxin or with botulinum neurotoxin for the purpose of trying to improve the way they use their limbs or trying to improve the way they transfer or the positioning of their head. And very often, they will try it. Many will go on and continue, and others may decide, I've lived with this for my whole life, and this doesn't help me. Or they may come back later on and have different goals. Because while we were always taught in medical school that this is a static injury, it does manifest with changes over the course of their lifetime. And I would think that, especially as the aging process takes its toll, as it does in all of us, things like osteoarthritis would have profound implications in these adult patients with CP. That's very true. Osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, you know, particularly in more severe cases where they haven't been necessarily standing or doing a lot of weight-bearing, that can become an issue. Certainly, there are adults with cerebral palsy who have uh, cervical myelopathies because of some of the head postures and the movement disorders they've had over the course of their lifetimes. 
So, you know, there aren't a whole lot of things that get better with age. <laughs> and so it, this sort of magnifies the aging process in many ways. Now, a typical patient that I might see, I'm a general psychiatrist, and I would assume the same thing for many of our listeners out there who are primary care docs. Patients often you inherit and that you assume that all this sort of thing has been done and may not initiate a new referral because you think everything that's been done, that could be done, has been done. How would we know on the front lines when it would be appropriate to refer an adult with CP to a physiatrist like you? Well, I think that you know, a lot of that information will come from the patient, what they have or have not had access to. But, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. If you refer a patient in there to someone who doesn't have anything to offer, you really haven't lost very much. But if you refer the patient to someone who does have something to offer, you know, then you can have potentially a significant impact on that patient's life. And very often, things that don't seem like a big deal to the physician can be a huge big deal for that patient or that patient's caregivers. Like what? For instance, um, I had a, a patient who couldn't transfer himself in bed and his family member would get up all night long for 20 plus years to turn him from side to side so that his skin wouldn't break down. And with different interventions, he got to a point where he could turn himself in bed mm. over the course of the night. So... Was he still dependent? Essentially, yes. I mean, he still needed somebody to help dress him and feed him and transfer him. But in terms of quality of life, both for him and his caregiver, who in this case was his mother, that made a huge difference. I've had patients who were just shocked when, after some intervention, for instance, in their tone management, they found they could cross their legs. So if you go through the course of the day and think about what it would be like to not be able to cross your legs, to put your shoes on or your socks on or you know, to bend down, to scratch if your ankle itches, things like that, those become significant issues. Being able to sit in a car versus not be able to sit in a car and have to go with, you know, whatever the disability-friendly mode of transportation is in your area, that can also make a huge difference in terms of someone's ability to access their community. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We've been speaking with Dr. Cindy Ivanhoe from Baylor College of Medicine about managing adults with cerebral palsy. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.